message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Mark chapter 14 this morning. I'm going to get a little personal with you uh, this morning. Actually, you're going to get a little personal with us. I'm going to ask you the question, and you're going to give me the, uh, the answer to that, hopefully. On, on a scale of 1 to 10, or maybe 0 to 10, but probably 1 to 10, uh, how much of a control freak are you? Uh, uh, you know, we've talked before about planning and having a plan and all those kind of things. But as far as really wanting control of the situation, you just feel a lot of comfort when things go according to plan. You don't mind making the plans, but you really do kind of enjoy that. So I, I see you uh, kind of shaking your head. On a scale of 1 to 10, where, where are you at? Okay, good. It's always good to, to have the honesty from a family member there. So, so, so you're going to go at least with 8, right? Okay. okay. Uh, so that he doesn't ask, answer for you, Kelly, what, what would yours be? At least a 9. Okay. Scott, how about you? A 2. Just shoot from the hip and just hope it hits something out there, right? Okay. Okay. Mark, how about you? Uh, seven. seven. Okay. Myra? Six. Six. Okay. Don? A nine? If not a nine and a half? I, I hear you really want to go nine and a half there, but, but that would seem like over the top, right? That would seem like over the top. And since, Rachel, you're sympathizing there with her... Okay, are you, are you going to take the nine and a half, or are you going to go ten? Do I hear ten? Give me ten. <laughs> it's an amazing thing, guys, that when we think about that, some of that is that we just like the security of a plan. We like when things kind of, you know, we're able to plan them out, and that we see things fall into place. And there's a certain comfort that that gives us because it's predictable. Both of my girls, um, to where I, I'm not really a shoot-from-the-hip type guy, I like plans, and I, I usually... Carly would probably say I over-strategize on some things. Um, but it's one of those things, my girls, they love a plan, and they really get not just, they dislike when a plan goes awry. They get frightened. Their hearts start to, to beat a little bit faster, and they really just don't like when things don't go according to plan. And I've always wondered, you know, where did they get that? Because, you know, and, and then I start looking in both, and I'm going, well, maybe it's because we were kind of planned people. Well, today we're going to look at uh, what leads up to the Easter story and, and how there's this plan that really seems to, to fall apart. Uh, the word that I use, maybe perhaps a, a lot this morning, is the word chaos. Because in the midst of this great plan that God had for eternity, and, and we find out later that Peter even says in First Peter, he says, this was laid out before the foundation of the world. This isn't something where they're thinking on their feet and they're kind of responding. You and I do not really have the privilege that much to do anything but react. Sometimes we are able to plan and then kind of go with that. But let's just say that you spent a year going to your dream, planning vacation to your dream place. And you go through all the travel books. You talk to people who have been there before. You go, and you've got an itinerary or an agenda, and it's filled for those seven to ten days. You've got like, okay, this is what we're going to do this morning and all that. You have no control over the weather. You have no control over what's going to happen once you get there. Uh, one time we had a trip that we were in Puerto Rico, and we get there, and that day they went on, the, the whole island went on a, 
uh, a strike and you could not get gas. And so we had one, you know, the rental car had one tank of gas and we were going to be there for a whole week and we were going to travel the whole island and we're going, okay, we could go down this road and back and that's about all that we can do now. Uh, one time we were in Paris and we were there and it was my oldest daughter's senior trip and we were going around Europe and these different places and we get there, and we're going to go to the Louvre. We're going to go to all these different places that are just, you know, that we had planned on. And uh, the students were rebelling or uh, having a strike. And so they had to, for safety reasons, they had to shut down all the major places. Uh, we were still able to go to the Eiffel Tower. But, you know, besides that, every, all these other places on the agenda. And while that wasn't life-changing, it was one of those disappointing things. Here's one thing I've discovered as I've lived life a little bit longer. <laughs> I'm not in control. And there was this fallacy. I don't know when I really first had that fallacy. You know, because when you're 10, 15, and 18, you're going, I can't wait to get out of here so I can be the one making the choices. I can be the one, yeah, see, Q is all over that, okay? <laughs> well, here Q is, since you were exuberant in that, here, here's what you're going to find out. You're going to hit your 30s and you're going to find out in this bold reality that you're not in control. <laughs> that from one day to the next, medical, financial, relational, it's an amazing thing how fragile life is. And when that starts to hit upon us, guys, there's two ways that we can react to the fragility of life, how fragile life really is. We can be scared to death, and we can start to really quake and, and just kind of almost go into a, a, a little internal nutshell here and try to hide. Or we can learn just to wing it and react and, you know, kind of fly by the seat of our decisions from day to day to day. Or we can say, okay, God, you know, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know you, and I know that your character, and I know that you know all things. And as much as I know that is a biblical truth, God, I want to live that out in faith that you hold my life. When we look at this story, there's a lot of things about the Easter story or the, what comes up upon that last week of Christ's life that seems like everything that he had been building for three years, in a way it seems like it's all falling apart. I mean, you, you get 12 guys and one's going to betray you and sell you out. The other one's going to deny you, even though he says that he would never do that. I mean, two out of the 12, that's a pretty big percentage when you work for three years looking to a direction, looking to an aim, and then all of a sudden there's that kind of fallout in the small band of brothers that you've assembled together. From all appearances, from our level, it would be one that is really kind of very full of chaos very much full of the unknown. And yet in the midst of all this, what we find is that Christ is in full control the whole time. Now, that perhaps, if you've been in church, you've been a Christian walking with Christ for a long time, that's probably not a novel idea with you. That in the midst of all the chaos, that, that Christ is in control, and that he very much has a plan, and all that, that's probably not novel, it's probably not new. But how much are you resting in that? There's one thing to have a head knowledge. There's another thing to actually have the kind of lifestyle that lives that out. There's a lot of things that I believe in theory, but in practice, do we really allow that theory to become actual 
you know, a ground floor in our life that we can stand on. That's the challenge of the Christian life. It's not so much that there's not truth out there. There's all kinds of truth. Good biblical truth. There's all kinds of solid ground that we can stand on in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The hard part is really living that out on a day-by-day basis. I've always found this. I am an incredibly wise guy when it comes to offering advice to other people. Here's what you should do. I'm glad you asked me. Here's what you should do. And then if you change the name and put myself in that, all of a sudden, that wisdom seems to fly out the door and you're in this conundrum and all of a sudden, you know, you have anxiety and maybe you have a little bit of, what are we going to do? Maybe you relate to that a little bit. How easy the Christian life is and one way to live out theoretically and how really tense it can be when we're just trying to live out simple biblical truth. Perhaps one of the most simple sermons I'll ever preach as we get ready for the Lord's Supper this morning, I I want you to kind of focus on uh, just a few words in in the uh, in Mark there, Mark chapter fourteen, uh, that brought a lot of comfort to me this week as I was preparing. I kind of changed the whole sermon and kind of focused on there. What we find is that uh, as these steps get closer and closer to the cross, instead of things coming together, it looks like they're falling apart. And kind of setting that whole stage is the celebration of Passover. Passover was the uh, traditional Jewish celebration of the time that God had brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And so every year they were instructed, just as we're instructed, to keep on doing this Lord's Supper, this communion, until he comes back. Do this in remembrance, do it in honor, do it in anticipation that I will return. In the same way that we're giving this, they were given in the Old Testament and they carried into the first part of the New Testament, the, uh, the Passover feast. And Christ would practice that with his family growing up. And we see them practicing that with the disciples. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 12. And on the first day of the unleavened bread, that's actually another ceremony. They had this festival and Passover, and usually those would coincide with one another. On the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Where are we going to have the celebration? You know, remember that Christ, his ministry for the most part is pretty nomadic. The Bible says he didn't have a place to lay his head. Now, foxes have this and and others have this, but but he, he doesn't have a place to call home consistently. And so the disciples are pretty much a nomadic people in the sense that they go from town to town preaching the gospel. They stay with Mary and Martha sometimes. They stay in other places. A lot of times they're just camping out. So it comes time for this Passover meal, and many people would just celebrate that in their home. But as they come into Jerusalem, one of the rules of the Passover is that you had to celebrate it within the walls of Jerusalem. You couldn't go like right outside the walls of Jerusalem to do Passover. It wouldn't count. And so part of the tradition of Passover is that you had to be within the walls of Jerusalem. So they're in Jerusalem. They're, they're gathering for this Passover. There was a lot of uh, methodical things. The lamb was selected on what was in their calendar, Nisan, the 10th day of Nisan. They would select that. The, uh, the lamb would be examined for two to three days for blemishes, make sure that it was a, a viable sacrifice. And then on the 14th day, uh, it was prepared and, and ready. 
and it was consumed, um, slain on the 14th day, and, and consumed on the 15th day for Passover. And, and they had been doing this since they were little kids. They, they knew kind of the rules. And so the disciples are asking this question, okay, here's our plan. Here's what we always do. Here's the methodical things that we need to do in order to celebrate Passover. Where are we going to have Passover? Since we really don't have a house here, well, where, where are we going to do this? Look at verse 13 through 15. And it, he, that is Jesus, sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you there. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of, of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. In one way, that seems like just the carrying out of the plan. There's a couple of things that are pretty odd about this, though. They're told to go and find this man carrying water. And you go, okay, what if there's a lot of men carrying water? Well, number one, that really wouldn't have happened in that culture that much. Most of the time, it was the ladies, no offense, but the ladies would carry the water. It was pretty unusual for guys to have the task of carrying the water. So that part was pretty odd. And Jesus says, okay, go find this guy. He's going to be carrying water. And wherever he goes in to that house, you go tell that master that, okay, it's the place prepared for us. Now, it's not like, now, some people said, well, I think that Jesus kind of prearranged all this, and that Jesus kind of had this, and he'd probably already given the $50 deposit to get the room. I don't think so, because he says, okay, go find this guy. <laughs> and when you see this guy, then go to that. He doesn't use names. He doesn't do that. I, I think for the most part, yes, there is a plan there, but it's not a prearranged plan in the sense that God is, uh, that Jesus has already taken care of all the details. I think what he's doing is that he knows these events, but it's not, I don't think that he's gone to this master yet. And, and there's some other theologians that would say various things. I think what we find here is that in a place of chaos and when things are falling apart, that Christ is showing us, that even in the minute details, that he has a plan. And even when plans seem like they're falling apart, sometimes they actually can be coming together. Have you ever taken great comfort that God knows you so personally that he knows the number of hairs upon your head? Don't you kind of like, you know, kind of really, that's an intimate thought? Do you realize that, how many of y'all realize that the number of hairs on your head, we were just talking about this the other day, is not a static number? Okay? You kind of realize that. That even if you have a full head of hair this morning and you're not follically challenged like some of us, okay? Even if you have a full head of hair, you're losing some hair and you're growing new hair all the time. So it's not like God said, okay, 2,470,362. And that's your number for life. Changes every day. Well, Bobby, you really think God knows the number of hairs on my head? Not as a static number, but as an ever-changing number? If he says he does, I think he does. He knows this intimately, and he knows this constantly. There's one thing to know somebody in a moment of time, and there's another thing to know somebody constantly, where it ebbs and flows, and it goes up and down, and it changes every day. And God's knowledge of us is not just, okay, you were born on this date, and I already have this date where you will leave this earth 
in, in, as, as far as in breathing life. Psalms tells us that. The same chapter that talks about how we were knit together in our mother's womb. It says, okay, all the days of your life are already there. God already knows all those things. You and I don't know that. But he knows that. But it's not just that he has this point of your life and this point of your life. And then all in the middle, he knows a few facts. Folks, he knows the ebb and flow of everything. How long y'all been married? What are you saying? I noticed how she jumped out and said that first. <laughs> and yet you don't know the intimacy. You know a lot about Bruce. You know a lot about Bruce now that you did not know 40 years ago. A lot of intimacies and ebbs and flows, but you don't know all the ebbs and flows. And he could come home from work tomorrow having left just this merry, you know, joyful guy, and he can come home and he could, could be saddened by something, heavy-hearted over something, and you could find out some of those things, but you wouldn't just know that. You kind of read the signs of it and then begin to have a conversation. God knows everything about your life, guys. And when we feel like we're in the midst of chaos, whether that's from medical, whether that's from financial, whether that's from relational, whether that's through, through spiritual challenges of our lives, and we're in torment, or we're in this pool back and forth, and we don't have control, and we see how fragile life is. God knows every one of us that are a nine. He knows the sevens. He knows the sixes. He knows the twos. And he knows that all of a sudden that two, maybe, let's just say, what would you say you normally are, Seth? Yeah. <laughs> okay, eight. But he knows the days that uh, that gets to a 10 plus. Because there's certain strings that can be plucked uh, along that line that all of a sudden, normally it's an eight in finances, maybe an eight in this and an eight in that, but all of a sudden this one string there in your life, man, you pluck that, that's a 10 plus. Does it make sense? In the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of the chaos that was happening here, I mean, many of you are familiar with this story. It looks like a plan falling apart instead of coming together. And in the midst of it, I just marvel at verse 14 and 15. It really reflects back uh, even before on Palm Sunday where he says, go get this colt and you'll find this colt tied up there. And and you can go ahead and use that colt. It's okay. You're not stealing. That colt has been prepared. All of this in fulfillment of the Old Testament. In Psalms, in Isaiah, we see all these prophecies that Jesus is living out. Here, here's the hope that, that it gives us, guys. Not that all of us, are, you know, our lives were described in prophecy in the Old Testament, but Christ in a time when everything seems to be falling apart and chaos seems to be surrounding them, he's actually just living out everything that had been predicted for hundreds of years. And have been prepared before the foundation of the world, it says in First Peter. And here's the amazing thing. That same God, that same intimacy, God says he, he has that knowledge of your life. You may not know. I may not know. There could be something that happens this afternoon. And, you know, I could get run over by a bus. 
we, we don't know. And the older we get, it's not that we live in fear, but we, all of a sudden we begin, man, life is fragile. Because by the time you get into your 40s, 50s, and then 60s, you've lost some friends that were totally healthy one day and, and then with Jesus the next day. You see, marriages that you thought, man, that is rock solid. They are a couple. And then all of a sudden you find out that they're filing for divorce. You see two people maybe in business together, they're best friends, and all of a sudden they're parting ways because they hate each other. They've come to a place in that business where they can't stand one another. Life is fragile, guys. And one of the things that God gives us in the stability of some of the things that we do within the church as we come for the Lord's Supper is we remind ourselves not just of the great sacrifice that has been given and that he's going to one day return. What he's also telling us is, look, I have a plan and the plan is intact. You may not know it, but I know it. And you can trust me. This same God that leaves the 99, the same pursuing God that knocks down walls in order to get that climbs up mountains, that lights up the shadows, is the same God that says, I know the number of hairs on your head, and it changed from yesterday by negative 50, Bobby. <laughs> and I know that. And I know that. And that is insignificant, so how much more do I know the things that are significant in your Why would we think that we could ever out-father, out-parent, out-dad our Heavenly Father? Because would you not agree that one of the best parts about many of us, if we have the privilege of having children, one of the, the most outstanding parts of this is that, hey, we might not be able to do this well. I'm not so good at the husband-wife thing. I'm not so good at this, the job thing. But man, I love my kid. May not parent real well, but I love my kid. How could we ever outparent him? How could we ever outdad the ultimate Father in heaven? And so, in the midst of all this chaos, when we're Kind of our hearts are getting excited where we get really, we see that fragility of life and how fragile everything is. Sometimes we need to read verses like verse 15 where it says, And he will show you a large room, furnished and ready. He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. If you're just reading the story, you kind of pass right by that, don't you? I mean, it's, it's one of the details, and it's an important detail, but it's, it's not really the outstanding detail in comparison that Judas is about to betray Jesus. It's not nearly as kind of pivotal, we would think, as Peter being told that he's going to deny Christ three times, and then he ends up denying Christ three times. Not nearly as pivotal as these mock trials, these fake trials that they have for Christ. And they begin to whip him, and they carry him off, and they crucify him across. All of those get the glorious details of this Easter season. And yet, the beauty of verse 15, hey, you'll find this, you know, just go find this guy who's carrying water. And then when whatever door he goes in, go knock on that door and ask for the master of that house. And when the master comes, tell him that there's a room. You, know, you are going to be using the room that's been prepared and ready. God has a room prepared and ready, guys. 
Well, Bobby, I know in heaven he's got a room prepared in heaven and it's ready. I know that. I'm saying that there's the details of your life that seem somewhat insignificant in comparison to the, the big chaos of your life, the medical, the financial, the relational, and all those kind of things. And he knows the number of hairs on your head seems so insignificant if you're having marital problems. But if he knows the number of hairs on your head, and that's not a static number, and it's ebbing and flowing, it's coming and going, how much more does he want you to know that he cares about your marriage since the marriage is a picture of the gospel? How much more does he want you to know that the finances, even though they seem really strained, that he's the ultimate provider? How much more does he want you to know that in broken relationship and broken hearts, that he is a heart mender? He puts hearts back together. See, the one thing I would not argue, and I don't think that you would argue with me, is that life is fragile and it's chaotic. And we do not know tomorrow. We don't even have a clue of what would happen tomorrow. We have planners. We have all these things. And in the midst of all that, there are big events that will happen in our lives. And there's big events that happened this night. And yet in the midst of that, we find this beautiful verse. I said, okay, when you, when you knock on that door, go in there and tell them, and you'll find a room prepared and ready. Mark 14.31 Go down a, a little bit in that chapter. Jesus predicts that Peter is going to, to deny him. And look at the words that he uses there, but he said emphatically, this is Peter speaking. Okay, Christ has just told him, you're, you're going to deny me. Not once, not twice, three times. And, and look at what word kind of stands out as you would read that? What word, Aaron, what word kind of in that verse? And there's not a right or wrong answer to this, but what word kind of stands out a little bit? Okay. Somebody else. What's the right? Emphatically? I mean, he, he's not losing an opinion here, is he? I mean, he's not kind of indecisive. Somebody else. Okay. And the measure that I will go, the measure I'll go. I, I mean, there's not a right or wrong answer, but the word that really does kind of stand out to, to me when I read that, especially in, in this context, is that word emphatically. In other words, I think Peter, out of all of the disciples, he, he was one that liked plans. And he liked working the plan. And yet when Christ tells him, okay, you're going to deny me, he doesn't just say, no, no, I think you got it wrong. But he says, emphatically, I'll die for you. You want to know the measure that I'll go? I'll, go, I'll die for you. And yet Christ has already told him, you know, no, I'm just telling you you're going to deny me three times. In all that chaos, Peter could not even predict what he would do the next day, guys. In his heart, in his mind, he's the solid one. In his heart and mind, he's got question about the other 11, but he has no doubt about him. Emphatically, I will die for you. And yet what we see in the chaos of all the happenings 
Once they come and arrest Jesus, and all of a sudden those events start to come in. When theory leaves and reality begins, Peter lives out the exact prophecy of what Christ said. Now, that's not to discourage us. It's just to show us how fragile life is and how determined we are to work the plan. Hey, I'd die with you. And yet, just a day later, not once, not twice, but three times, he does exactly what Jesus said. Folks, this is not a plan that's falling apart. This is a plan that's actually coming together. And in the midst of that plan of coming together, look at verses 22 and 23. And as they were eating the bread, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them. He said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when they had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. Up to this point, that Passover feast, I think, had looked like a typical Passover feast. That's what they had prepared for. And yet in the midst of it, God changes something. Christ changes something that had been established for hundreds of years, this Passover feast. And here's the restrictions. You have to turn in the lamb this day. It has to be examined for this many days. You have to roast it, you know, sacrifice and then roast it for this day. Then you eat it on this day. You have to be within the walls of Jerusalem. There's a lot of rules here. And all of a sudden, Christ, in the middle of this, kind of changes one of those things. And he changes it in relationship to what had been prophesied. One of those prophecies back in Isaiah 53, that he would be despised and rejected by men, that he would bear our griefs and our sorrows, that he would be pierced for our transgressions, that he would be crushed for our iniquities, but that everything that would happen to him would bring peace and healing to us. And that's why we see that the one calm person in all this, all this chaos, all these things falling apart, is Christ himself. Hey, go over here, you're going to find a cult. Hey, go over here, and you're going to find a room ready and prepared. And that's what he invites us into, guys. He says he invites us into that kind of rest. Not in knowing what tomorrow holds, but knowing that he is a God who knows all about us, that he is this God who breaks down walls to pursue us, that he is a God that knows the intimacies of our hearts, the the joys and the sadness, the fright and frustration. He knows it all. And this is the God, and this is the Christ that invites us to the table this morning. I imagine we could go around the room this morning And we would all be able to say, well, you know, speaking of chaos, this is at least a five on the Richter scale right now in our our lives. This is a seven. And, you know, it would be different intimacies. And everybody, what we would soon find out is that every one of us in here has the potential of losing it very shortly. Would you agree with that? That the very person, <laughs> some more so than others. <laughs> and that's why the consistency isn't, okay, who's the winners and who's the losers? Who's the tough guys and who's the wimps? No, I, he calls for responsibility, but that responsibility is coming and resting in him. It's not just, hey, 
find a tougher way. You know, because you will find yourself this week, this very week, guys, you will find yourself working out some of your plans, and you will also find yourself this very week reacting to situations that you did not know. They weren't on your schedule. You didn't plan for it. And something's going to happen Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or someday this week that you're going to have to do pure reaction to. You don't have a plan because this was not a part of the plan. And you're going to have to, at that point, go, okay, do I have the wisdom? Do I have the fortitude? Do I have the knowledge? Do I have all the abilities to handle this? Or do I rest in the fact that God will lead me through this because this was not a secret to him. This was not a surprise to him. And my, this part of my life seems to be falling apart. And yet he's the one that has already foreordained my life, my future, and my eternity. Great fearing. This table helps us to live it out. Because it reminds us of the simple truth. That God knows all the ebbs and flows of your life. He he knows everything that's, there's some things that we haven't even shared with our mate. That we haven't even shared with someone that we've spent 40 years with or you know, Carly and I have 33 years that, that we've been together and we share just about everything, but there's you know, some things in the intimacies, maybe a fear that I have, a concern that I have that I don't share with her, and maybe there's some things that she doesn't share with me, not because we don't love each other greatly, but just because of it's so personal, it's so deep. And yet my God knows that. And part of coming to this table, part of him establishing the, this in the midst of that pre-Easter week, amidst all the chaos, was to remind us that this had been foreordained before the beginning of the world. So we get one last passage, and then we'll close this morning. The one that I've been referring to quite a bit. First Peter chapter one, verse eighteen through twenty. Peter writes, "Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers." not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And what does verse 20 say? He was foreknown before when? The foundation of the world. But was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. Plan for the, for the ages all coming together 2,000 years ago in what seemed to be complete chaos. And the one person who's living this out, I'm not saying it was easy, but the one person who's just trusting his Father and living it out and saying, okay, Father, give me the strength. He goes to Gethsemane later on. Chapter 14 of Mark is one of the most vivid of all chapters in the entire Bible. It's got all these different scenarios in it. And Jesus goes on and and he begins to, to pray He's praying just for the strength that the Father of the Father's will. And I've always been amazed by a part of that. As he's praying, God sends angels to minister to Jesus. Do you, do you remember reading that? Think of this, guys. Think of the, hum, the, the humbleness of this. Who created the angels? Christ did. Nothing was created that he has not created. That's what, and yet, his creation comes to comfort. Isn't that, isn't that an amazing thing? That Christ, and so trusting, he gets to this place of this chaos that's about to happen. He's taking on the sin of the world so that we could have salvation. 
and his own creation has to come and, and comfort him. I've always been amazed by those little details of the Bible that begin to add the perspective. Wow, this is real. This isn't just a story. This is real. And as you come to the table this morning, you come and, and uh, I pray that if there's chaos in your life, that you can say, God, I just trust you. You know the number of hairs on my head. You know the condition of my heart. You know the chaos of my life. And, and I trust you with this chaos. I just trust you. As best as I give, I can, I give you my, myself completely. My fears, my worries, my triumphs. I give you everything. And I rest in you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, this morning as we come to this table, Father, I pray that we would uh, certainly recognize, Father, the, the gift that you have given us through your Son, his death, burial, and resurrection, Father. And Father, that he has made a promise that he will return. And so just like our, our lives, Father, we have a birth and we have a death and then we have these two points, and yet there's all this life in between. Father, you've given us the resurrection of Christ. There, there's a point in history and his return one day, and that's a point in history, and yet we're in the middle of that, Father, and we see the chaos, and we experience the chaos. And Father, what a gift you have given us to come back to something that we do repetitiously, but we do it over and over again until you come back. And Father, I, I believe that you do that for so many reasons, to remember this great sacrifice, to honor you, but Father, to remind ourselves in this chaotic, fragile world that you are the giver of life and you are the holder of life. We love you and we trust you and we thank you. So Father, we come with humble hearts this morning and we come before you to receive and remember this great gift that was given. Christ, your very Son. And Father, we rest in him this morning as we pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.